0: University. It is time for season three of Puck University. The college hockey season is almost here and we're going to start with a preseason special that I am currently calling Project Beanpot Everywhere and we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm your host Tim Williams. I'm joined as always by Chris Lynch up in the Boston area. I'm down in the Florida area. Chris, it's just a few weeks and we'll have college hockey back.
1: October 6th is the first day that we have regularly scheduled college hockey games. It's a beautiful sight. I was up in Durham, New Hampshire earlier today to interview head coach uh, new head coach Mike Souza for a story that uh, a preview of the Wildcats season. So, and I walked in and there was ice in the building and I looked down on it and it was beautiful and the players were practicing and it was a great sight it's just it's a beautiful thing to get to see the uh this season right around the corner
0: and it it really creeps up on you it, it's so fast that we're looking at the middle of october and it's less than a month now and college hockey season of course is long we'll be going through this till march of course and in, into april for the frozen four but it's right around the corner and this is where we see early on some of the really out there matchups that you don't get anywhere else, the out of conference schedule and the exhibitions um, before even October sixth, Simon Frazier goes into play what looking at the schedule appears to be a sort of split squad game, like spring training baseball against the two Alaska schools at the end of September. So, you know, that that's not going to count in the regular season standings, but that's how close we are to college hockey.
1: It's a great sight. And actually, I have to amend myself because the first game of the season is actually October 5th between uh, Sacred Heart and American International. And then the schedule opens up properly on the 6th with Vermont at Michigan, Alabama going to Miami, Lake Superior State going up against Merrimack uh Army against Union Bowling Green against Mercyhurst Colorado College making the trip up to Anchorage there's uh there's a full slate and then there's a whole number of uh exhibition games between Canadian colleges coming down to play uh to play schools stateside uh Ferris State gets to host the US under eighteen team. There's a really nice balance of uh, of all different kinds of matchups that you get. But gotta amend myself, first game is October 5th, but still it's about the same stretch of time. Let's let's get excited, guys
0: and a lot of changes in the offseason you mentioned the one that we had seen coming for a while Dick Umilly has retired and has been replaced at New Hampshire so a new era for the New Hampshire Wildcats they were prepared for it
1: and we'll see what it looks like in just a few weeks i mean there wasn't anyone else really that i think they were going to end up replacing him with they that program is one where they were going to keep it in family a lot of these college hockey programs are tight enough that they're going to try and keep it in in-house to a certain extent. BU did that when David Quinn moved on to the New York Rangers. And the second that BC decides to move on from Jerry York, uh, they will have someone from in-house. So Sousa was the right choice for them. And he is unbelievably excited to get started on the new year and, I got to speak with him this morning, and that's the one word he kept going back to was, I'm excited to get to it. And genuinely, young guy, excited guy, energetic guy, with a pretty good and talented team, I think, up there in Durham. So that's going to be a fun, uh, fun thing just to get to watch, just for what he's going to bring to the bench. Not that Coach Millie was not excitable. It's just 28 years wears you down after a while of being on the same job, so. I think it'll be great for them to have some, some new blood in there. It will be a hockey East. That's going to be, I think it's going to be wide
0: open. I think it's going to be in transition to a degree, not just because of these new coaches. You also mentioned that Boston university has a new coach as well with David Quinn leaving for the New York Rangers. And what to many was a, a surprise move. Of course he, He recruits so well, so he's had so many players that have moved on to the NHL already and others that we will see soon in the NHL, but I I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. We talked about it already at the end of last season. With the with the surprise move, but BU has moved on, so it's a new era there as well. The highest profile program in the East changing coaches, and of course we can't men- we can't forget Merrimack, who is also changing coaches and moving on to a new era as their school transitions into being fully Division One. So hockey leading the way in that regard up in North Andover.
1: Well, they've been a Division One school in uh in hockey stuff since the eighties. They've done a they've done a lot of work to like the late 80s, early 90s really. They've put a lot of money into uh trying to up their facilities and I think they've they've done a pretty good job in uh making a really, really nice facility and it's a good athletic program. It's a really, really good athletic program up there in Merrimack. Uh that having been said though, the way that they uh fired Mark Dennehy, who was their longtime head coach, was, and I, they handled it very, very badly. I thought BU's is a little different because Quinny left uh, on timing. The timing is really what made him, his departure, I think, all the more surprising. I, I could absolutely have seen him moving on to the NHL. It's just that announcement came at a point when I thought he had decided to stay, and I, thought we were already too uh, far removed for him to have already started work on the new college season that I didn't think he'd go off to the pros, but shows you how much, uh, how much uh, (laughs) that shows you how uh, correct I was about that. But uh, there's a lot of changes within, uh, within hockey East. I think BC is right around the corner from, uh, from, uh, from Jerry York retiring. He's only got, I think, two more years left on his contract or, something that's not that large and he's been around for a while and I think he's soon to retire at some point at least and UMass Amherst is on the rise and that's a non-traditional power in the conference that's on the way up but on the Merrimack thing it was just handled badly Scott Borak will be a very good head coach for that team but I just don't like the way Dennehy was removed from that post
0: I'll agree with that certainly and and, and I think it's going to be a bit of a rough transition because while Merrimack is getting better and better throughout the years, they've they've been more competitive. And certainly at Lawler Arena, we've talked about this at nauseum. They can trip people up on on any weekend, so beware that home and home with Merrimack. But it's going to be a rough first season because they're going to be at the at, toward the bottom of a conference that while it's not what it was a few years ago where it was the preeminent power it's not quite that anymore but it's going to have some great teams you mentioned UMass Amherst might be making a run of course the of course Boston University is going to have a loaded roster again of course we're going to see The the programs that have been near the top for a while, UMass Lowell isn't going to go away. They're still going to be good. I even though they lost most of their top their entire top line, Northeastern, I think, is still on the rise because they have that stability at coach. So it's going to be a wide open hockey east. It's going to be a lot of fun in the east. And we're getting this out of the way early because I know we talk about hockey East a lot and we want to kind of go national here. So that's why we're starting there, but I think it's going to be a wide open year and it's going to be a much different conference than we saw last year.
1: I'll agree with that. Uh, I mean, it's our biases from the BU guy and me and the Northeastern guy and you. It's just, it's what we know. So it uh, great apologies to fans (laughs) in every other place who might get a little bit tired of us talking about this stuff, but in some ways it's what we know the best. It's a really interesting conference to look at because it does feel like it's been a top-heavy conference for stretches where U and BC have written the story of it for the biggest stretch of history, and then other players join in with those two at the top. UNH and Maine for a while, Providence and Lowell a lot more recently. I think that cast might be changing again. I think Lowell will slip a little bit, Uh, They were even 500 team last year. And I just think that there's new people on the way up. I think Providence uh, might slip a little bit as well. I think Maine will come back into big prominence this year, mostly because Jeremy Swayman is a great goaltender. Northeastern, I think, will have a slightly less great season, but they'll be a 500 to a couple games above 500 hockey team this year because they have stability at goaltender and stability at coach. Uh, they have enough pieces that they're still going to be a good team, but you can't lose your entire top line, especially if that line is so dominant scoring-wise throughout the whole country. You can't lose that entire line of the NHL and not slip a little bit. So I still think they'll be good. I just don't think they'll be as good. It's how B, like how BU was not quite as good when Jack Eichel graduated. You can't lose the best player in the sport and not slip a little bit, you know?
0: Oh, of course. And for them, it will be a test as well for just how powerful the recruiting is getting at Northeastern to see how they replace those three guys because they do have some other scorers on their team. But to your point that was the bulk of their offense. That was what made them such a dangerous team, that top line, and that's going to be gone. So they're either going to have to adjust their play or find some people that can make them a deeper team and maybe scarier on the back lines than they had been to the point where it might not matter as much that their top line isn't quite as dominant as it's going to be when you have a a guy that wins the Hobie Baker award there and Two years in a row they've had Hobie Baker finalists. So it's going to be a test for them, and I think I agree with you on that. And, and of course, we're going to see from a lot of these teams that are sort of in transition, and it's hard to believe that Boston College is going to go winless outside of the conference again.
1: I mean, I think their last out-of-conference victory was in 2016, and that was against Arizona State so it's been a long time for them since they gotten out of conference victory and this can't continue for uh, for another 2 years and they can't have the jekyll and hyde act of struggling to get wins outside of the conference and then dominating within it i i mean hockey does weird things i uh we've we we've uh we've seen really, really, really crazy things happen in this sport. I mean, Northeastern won a beanpot last year, so we've seen crazy things happen. Uh so we'll see what happens with them, but I just look at the talent. Logan Hutzko coming back for another year could lead hockey east, could be a top five scorer in the country. And Joseph Wool is a high caliber goaltender who can pace anyone. So I totally believe that BC will be uh, competitive again this year.
0: Logan Hutsko, by the way, originally out of Tampa, Florida. So an in, in interesting wrinkle there, at least on my end of things down in this area. So that that's a lot of fun to, to see a guy win Hockey East Rookie of the Year last year from now, granted, he also went to Shattuck St. Mary's. So he has the hockey pedigree. But you wouldn't think hometown Tampa, Florida, you wouldn't see that a whole lot on on these kind of media guides.
1: Well, I mean, I I hope that college hockey, Division I college hockey, comes to the state of Florida at some point. If not just to, you know, give Alabama Huntsville a closer team, uh, a closer conference rival so that the WCHA scheduling and travel planning isn't so, so egregiously terrible at times, but also just because it'd be great to expand it because you've noted this a bunch of times, that's a hockey market down there in Tampa because it's a great sport and the people have really taken to it down there. And I'd love to see Florida Gulf Coast actually get a Division One team down there or one of the other successful schools in, uh, at the club level to uh, have a Division One team. It would be really nice to get to see just to continue developing the sport down there. Hutsko is evidence that it absolutely can be a hotbed of producing real talent.
0: And and he's not the first. He's also an, another sophomore in hockey East this year. Zach Solo from Northeastern comes from Naples, and for a while they had a goaltender Clay Witt from Brandon, which is just next to Tampa. Now, we've been talking a lot about the East. Now, if we're going to talk preseason, we do have to get to the elephant in the middle of the room. Two of the best teams in the country out West, Denver and St. Cloud State, are also in transition. They have new coaches. Denver's coach, David Carl, 28 years old, but they expect to continue because he had been there as an assistant for a while and it looks like they're just going to continue what Jim Montgomery started there in Denver with the Pioneers.
1: I'm really curious to see what Denver does exactly. St. Cloud, uh, we should note Minnesota as well. Bob Hutzko moved over from St. Cloud to Minnesota to replace Don Lucia, so he's going to be an interesting uh, replacement there, especially since I think he, to a certain extent, underachieved at St. Cloud, particularly last year in the uh in the uh, the NCAA tournament. But I'm really particularly intrigued to see what happens in Denver. If for nothing else, Logan O'Connor, who was going to be a senior this year um, and was named the team captain before the season in July, decided to sign a two-year entry-level deal with the Colorado Avalanche of the NHL. So I just wonder, it seems like there's a lot of upheaval in Denver in general with the Pioneers, and I just wonder. I don't know how much more there is, because that that feels like a program in transition. And it's been a dominating force. I think the the 2017 Pioneers that won the national championship is possibly the best college hockey team ever assembled. I still think the 93 main team that with Korea uh, is the best one but that 2017 Denver team will take a run at it but i just can't help but wonder how uh if how they can continue that run with so many pieces leaving cuz the three uh big time prospects and Terry and Borgstrom the, the the two top ones at least are now both playing in uh, are now both in, in in the pros and o'connor is also now in the pros and montgomery is too i just wonder how much is still left for Montgomery's time there.
0: Now that you mention it, oh, to hear Jim Montgomery, honest and off the record, answer which team does he think is better, the 2017 Denver Pioneers or the 93 Black Bears, because, well, he was was heavily involved with both, so – that would that would be a wonderful question that I don't think he would ever answer honestly in front of a microphone.
1: <laughs> oh my god, I just realized that. <laughs> oh, that's right. And also worth noting, Montgomery was the was the MVP of that frozen four in 93, not Korea. Oh. I don't know which one. I I still think it's the main team, but. I I think that Montgomery's probably just happy that he was a part of both of those and that he can uh he can smile knowing that he was a part of uh, making dynastic forces at both places.
0: It, yeah, that that's at the end of the day I don't think it really matters which one he would pick but it's just so funny to think. Well, wait, he was involved with both of those teams, so either way he wins.
1: Good on him. Uh, Ah, that's awesome.
0: Now, to your point about Denver possibly being in transition and possibly slipping a little bit, the NCHC is brutal. We may prattle on about hockey East because that's where our biases are, but we know what the best conference in the country is right now, and it is without question the NCHC. They have been a powerhouse of late. And to imagine a team trying, scuffling at all in that conference, you're not going to get away with a bad week or a bad month in that conference. They're just going to bury you. There are too many good teams, and they're just going to keep bringing in players year after year. St. Cloud State's still going to be good. They have a new coach. There are programs on top of programs. North Dakota is always North Dakota. That is such a tough conference to try and transition a team in. So if it gets ugly, it can get ugly fast for a team like Denver. And, of course, with Colorado College quietly on the rise, they could get punched in the mouth in a way they don't want to with a local rivalry.
1: Yeah, I can't help but think that those two will switch positions, Uh, Colorado College and Denver. I just – I just can't help but think that uh, that the Tigers will swap places with them a little bit. I don't think that Denver is going to be a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. It's in too good a conference and it has too good a track record to slip back. Though it should be noted that before Montgomery got to Denver, he got there when it was kind of a mess of a team, and in four years he turned it around into a power. So. Things can change, and uh, you can't rest on your laurels of uh, of where you are. So, it's a it's an unusual position. It, it, it's a really really interesting uh, spot for uh, uh, for David Carl to be, and it was it was an unusual process because that process took a long look at UMass Lowell's Norm Basin, which almost saw one of. Uh, one of uh, the more established coaches going out there, but I commend them for ta- for picking up a young guy. The, the last person who was uh, that young who took a job at a at a major uh, major conference program was when Enrico Blasi took over at uh, the University of Miami, Ohio, when he was 27 years old in 1999. So they hired Carl for the long haul. I think, though Denver is a program that will produce people who go up to uh, to the pro level. But this is a we'll have to wait and see. This is uh, not a surefire thing by any stretch of the imagination.
0: It, it's going to be a wild conference. It's, again, it's the best conference in college hockey, with all due respect to a great season last year from the Big Ten, which has also emerged as something to see the NCHC just towers above everyone else. I mentioned all those teams before, and I didn't even touch on the defending national champions, the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. And by the way, congratulations to any Duluth fans listening to this.
1: Oh, man, they are having a great time up there in Duluth. And they're they're going to be a little bit terrifying to, uh, uh, to deal with this year. Um, the, I think they had their blue line last year, their defensive core – was super young and I'll admit I kind of had a uh I kind of had a general sense of I didn't think it was a uh an old enough and experienced enough court uh to really cause any damage and how wrong I was. Louis Rail and Scott Perunovich uh completely proved me wrong in the national championship game. They dressed one sophomore and five freshmen, all of those guys on the blue line who were the defining piece of that game for me. Other than Carson Coleman, who is the captain and has moved on, and there will be a transition for a new captain. And, you know, the the MVP of the Frozen Four is now graduating and in, in the Bruins system. Which, by the way, the Bruins do a great job of picking up college talent. Anyway, but uh, so... I just look at the uh, the Duluth staff, and I just think there's a lot of potential for them to uh, run roughshod over the NCHC again this year. Because that team struggled early on to find identity in that brutal conference. And then towards the end, they got lucky to make it into the NCAA tournament. They made it in by two thousandths of a of a point in the in the in the pairwise ratings and made it in and then won the national championship. It's it's just a remarkable feat and I fully expect Luth to put on another good showing this year.
0: We'll have more of the preseason preview in the coming weeks as we get closer and closer to college hockey season. We'll take you through the entire country and tell you which teams we think are going to be better, which teams we think might not be as good and who we possibly see contending. But before we, before we get out of the preseason, um, one thought I had just based on what you were just saying about the Bruins recruiting so well, if you're a college hockey fan that doesn't have a favorite NHL team, what you really should be rooting for is a Stanley Cup in the near future where the two finalists are the Boston Bruins and the Vancouver Canucks because. These teams are both loaded with guys who were great in college and are looking to contribute in the pros. Of course, Brock Besser had a great rookie season until he got hurt with Vancouver. The Bruins are loaded with guys that were great in college and coming soon to Vancouver, Adam Gaudette. So there's even more coming there and they have other college prospects. So. These are the two teams that college hockey fans that don't necessarily have an NHL team and are just following maybe the college alumni and the pros. You might want to watch those two.
1: Yeah, they've done a remarkable job of recruiting uh, recruiting talent lately. I mean, I think the college hockey sphere has grown a lot more lately, and Buffalo has actually done a good job of getting – College talent, okay, admittedly specifically BU talent, because they could ice a line of Jack Eichel centering Evan Rodriguez and Daniel Regan if we want to make it feel like 2015 in here. But uh uh it's it's a great thing to get to see more NHL teams taking a crack at it. And I just wonder, um I wonder how many more teams are gonna hop on the college bandwagon as we move on.
0: I think at this rate they'll have to because more and more NHL caliber talent seems to be coming through college hockey every year. I remember when I was a student, what, geez, it was 15 years ago. But I remember how those teams, there were only maybe two or three guys who you would look at and say, this guy is going to the NHL. And it was even more rare that you'd say, they're going to be a solid contributor for a long time in the NHL. Fair amount of them would get drafted, but they'd usually stall out around the AHL if they even made it that far. So now we're seeing just better talent coming through college hockey. You see the Hobie Baker winner in the NHL contributing the next year, almost every year, which is, that's not how it always was. So that's a great sign for the overall level of talent in the game and i think it's only going to continue as schools get better and better at recruiting and their pitch gets better and better
1: i just wonder what the impact on college hockey players being able to stay at school for four years and waiting out uh their draft rights being held um i just wonder what kind of impact that's going to have and I do. I have heard some people argue that that might result in a lockout or something like that. Basically the Jimmy Veezy situation of get drafted by Nashville in the third round, when you are a good prospect coming up, but not a superstar prospect, become a superstar in college and then wait out until your timing is all done uh, in, in school and wait until your draft rights have expired and you can go sign with any team you want. I mean, that we had two consecutive Hobie Baker award winners do that with, uh, with Jimmy Vesey going eventually to the New York Rangers and Will Butcher, who was drafted originally by Colorado and then signed with the Jersey Devils. Um, so I, I just wonder that's the only question I have about college hockey's impact on the pro game moving forward. And I don't, have an answer for, uh, for how much of an impact that'll have moving forward. But I can't say it's nothing.
0: It, I think at the end of the day, it's going to res- it's going to depend on where the prospects go because someone still would have to convince them to go to the junior leagues instead of playing college or just not go to college and go straight into the minor league systems out there which might happen and has in the past been the preferred way to go. The idea of all these prospects coming into college hockey is again, rather new, but if that's where they're going, then they're either going to have to change the draft rules in that regard, or they're going to have to learn how to deal with it. But the NHL can use some kind of power to try and convince people to stop doing that, stop going to college entirely. Or, more accurately, the teams that draft players are going to get in a little bit of trouble when they start trying to convince players to leave early so that they don't have to run into that situation.
1: Yeah, the Bruins put on a lot of pressure to make sure that McAvoy and Donato both ended up signing with them. They also made a smart move in, draf- in drafting Matt Grizzlick fairly early on and then signing him immediately. And the reason why they we're smart in getting him is because grizzy is a boston guy and has always had uh has always had dreams of playing for the bruins so uh i think that's part of the reason why the bruins have had some real success is because there are there is massachusetts talent that wants to play for that specific team and uh bu has done a good job in fostering a relationship with um, um with the other with the the college teams in the area and I just wonder and I, I think that there the other NHL teams are going to have to develop a better relationship with uh, with other college teams that might be in uh, in the market if they want to develop that but it's just uh, it's just a hypothetical thing that I could see being an issue and we'll call it the Jimmy Vze rule moving forward because that was a whole long episode and I can only imagine it getting a little more complicated that I think you're right. It probably will end up, at least with some change to the draft rules, with how long, uh, how long uh, they can hold on to your rights for. That's one thing I could see, but it's all just a potential thing moving down the line, I think.
0: And before we get into the, the meat of this podcast, while we're still on preseason thoughts, any, anything else miscellaneous kind of swirling around?
1: Um, I'm just, a, dude, I'm just excited for there being a fun year ahead of us. Uh, also, I think, I think last year you had a note about, uh, about how you thought the Ivy league was going to be up and, uh, up and wildly competitive this year. Uh, the last year, I think this is the year when the, uh, the Ivies run, uh, I, I think the Ivies run the, the ECAC this year with, Cornell returning virtually everyone, Harvard returning enough people that uh, they'll step out of Donato's, um, uh, Donato's spotlight and uh, make one for themselves and are very competitive again this year. And then I think Dartmouth makes a good run at it as well. So I just think that if you're an Ivy League fan, well, those those three specifically, I think you're in for a really good time this year.
0: It could be, and it could be a lot of fun to see those schools in the ECAC, which has become every bit as strong a conference as any in the East. And that's saying something. It It's going to be a great one this year. It's, I look at these standings and I look at the way everything is and the way these teams are set up right now. And with very few exceptions. I don't see a whole lot of clear favorites in college hockey. And that makes me very excited to see what every conference is going to do moving forward, because teams will emerge, but they won't emerge until the season starts, which you don't always see in sports. There are often favorites coming in that are just overwhelming. And besides Minnesota, Duluth, and maybe Notre Dame, I don't really see it in college hockey. So, you could be absolutely right about the ECAC and I think that in particular will be a shootout of a conference.
1: I I think that we're in an interesting year where there's a lot of transition going on right now. Or at least the uh the teams that we follow the most have a lot of a lot more changes than normal. It, it felt like a chaotic off season, granted. The whole sport of hockey feels like it's been a chaotic offseason. We're recording this only only about half an hour or so after we found out that uh, Eric Carlson got traded to the San Jose Sharks, for example. So uh, we're just in the middle of what's been a remarkably crazy season, and the teams that are able to have some consistency are the ones that are going to be competitive. So that might be my thought there.
0: I think one of the reasons we didn't record this podcast earlier in the week was that the NHL off-season did get very crazy in the last few days and as I cover the Tampa Bay Lightning something had to be said about Steve Eiserman just stepping down almost unexpectedly to the fans but of course the team had seen it coming for quite a while because they seemed to be very prepared but yeah, it's been a crazy off season in both college hockey and the NHL. It's been wild, and especially in the last month, it's been everything's happening all the time. So we're getting closer, and it just means that a lot of moves are happening as teams get ready for their seasons in these respective sports. And with college hockey, we're seeing a bunch of people come in for the first time and get re- get their team ready for a season for the first time with a given school or in some cases for the first time period. So that's fascinating. And we will get to that a lot in the coming weeks as we preview the conferences and the country in general. But the main part of our podcast today, I called it project Beanpot everywhere. We're both fans of Beanpot schools, BU on Chris's side, Northeastern on my own. And to me, that's given a, deep love of local college sports rivalries. I don't necessarily care about these contrived Notre Dame's going to fly over many, many States to play USC every year. And I'm supposed to think that's a huge rivalry because they play every year. They're nowhere near each other. That's not local. The The rivalries in college sports that are fun are local. And we know that best through the bean pot, these four teams that despise each other all the time and get a trophy at the end of a little mid season tournament that means the world to each of them,
1: yeah, if I may offer just a uh, just a little bit to color it in, Yukon, for example, has uh, two different conference situations, so for everything except hockey, they're in the American Athletic Conference and for hockey there in Hockey East. You walk into, uh, into the XL Center where they play their some of their basketball games and their hockey games. On the right side, looking at uh, on, on in the top rafters, they have banners for the conferences that they're in if they're playing a the conference game. There's a spotlight on UConn all the time. There's a spotlight on, on the conference team they're playing. For hockey, it's beautiful, geographic, and makes sense with schools in Boston, schools in New Hampshire, school in Rhode Island. It makes sense, and it's beautiful. It makes sense for conference standings. The American Athletic has UConn, uh, East Carolina, Houston, and teams that are geographically just don't make any kind of sense whatsoever. So local, uh, local competition makes it a lot, a lot superior. And if you, want, if you want a non-hockey example for how great this can be, Philadelphia College Basketball um with the uh, the big 5 tournament is is your other big case of of uh this kind of local uh regionalism i still think that the bean pot is the best of these tournaments that might just be because i'm in it in some way but i really think that uh these kind of local tournaments are special
0: they are i i'm also partial to the bean pot i like to point out to people across the college sports that I can't think of any other rivalry or midseason tournament or trophy that's awarded during the season in any of the college sports where every single year the team that wins that tournament is immediately considered a national championship contender. That's true of a few rivalries for a while at a time, but it's not always true. For the Beanpot, it seems like it's always true.
1: Well, It has been for a while. So this year, Northeastern was the first team to not make the Frozen Four after winning the Beanpot in a while because this year they... I wonder what would have happened if they had a different matchup than Michigan, who was a team that could match them. I, I just wonder if they could have gotten BU in Round 1 or if they could have gotten Tech or someone else in uh, in Round 1. Just a thing that I know is never going to actually be answered, but just a just a curious thing. But 2017, Harvard won the bean pot, then the ECAC, then uh went to the Frozen Four. 2016, BC wins the bean pot, goes to the frozen four. 2015, BU went to the national championship game in the same building after winning the bean pot. 14, same thing. You have to go back to 2013 as the last time that a team Won the Beanpot BC and then got eliminated before the Frozen Four. They lost to Union in round one of that year's tournament, and even still, every year it, it, those teams are excellent, excellent hockey teams. So it's a beautiful sight to uh, to get to see all these, all this kind of stuff every single year. And the Beanpot is probably the best, and we should note that there are a lot of other. Middle of the year regular season tournaments, but uh, also worth noting. I think the only one I could think of that is generally regionalized is the Great Lakes Invitational up in Michigan. I, I think that's the only other one, and that one doesn't have a set slate every single year of teams that take part in it.
0: Yeah, that would be another one that that deserves that recognition as a mid season tournament for out of sports. You did mention the Big Five and that's kind of my idea here is to create is we like to create hypothetical things on puck university we like to say what if certain schools had programs we've done that several times already created new conferences out of you know in a perfect world kind of conferences and now we're kind of doing this here because we love the bean pot and i think you'll agree with me when i say I think every college sports fan should have something similar to the bean pot somewhere in their college sports year.
1: That would be pretty sweet. Uh, I'm thinking that for, uh, for college hockey, you'd need, you might want to do it by state, uh, might be one thing. So, um, just thinking for the upper Midwest, the great lakes invitational is the closest thing that we have. And this year it's worth noting that it's all Michigan schools taking part in it. Um, the Wolverines, the Spartans of uh, from Ann Arbor and from uh, East Lansing. Then you get Michigan Tech and Lake Superior State. So, you have all Michigan schools. Last year Bowling Green was a non-Michigan school from there from Ohio. It's it's close enough though at least. So, I just I'm just kind of surprised that the state of Minnesota with all the college hockey going on there does not have a tournament like this. That's the first place I look for for this kind of tournament.
0: Well, they did. They they used to, and there's a now defunct tournament that, that often paired the Minnesota schools together. It did not always have a set slate either, but it, it served a similar purpose to the GLI and has since been retired. So unfortunately, the, the Minnesota schools did, but I think that was in a way a byproduct of the conference shakeup that happened in the last few years is this this cup has now gone by the wayside but i would like to see that return and i would like i agree with you i think the minnesota schools deserve their own and one of the ones i've i've come up with here and this is i think this might be the most solid one i've come up with because it's the same four schools each year i call it the fargo classic North Dakota, St. Cloud State, Minnesota, and Mankato every year in Fargo, and here's part of the deal. If we're going to do this, then maybe we don't have to have a regional in North Dakota every single year hosted by North Dakota that North Dakota gets to play in.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So that has... That has NCAA tournament ramifications as well going into this. I pause for a second because when I'm thinking of the bean pot, there is no direct ramification for scheduling for the NCAA tournament. So that would be a bit of a change. I well, that last bit was a bit of a joke,
0: but <laughs> the bean pot it, because there's the bean pot, we don't have to see, you know, it's not like they have a regional at the TD Garden every single year. It is incorporated into the rotation. It will show up sometimes. It will host the Frozen Four sometimes, but it's not the default location for one, whereas North Dakota always seems to get a regional. It'd be like here, maybe if you have a regular season rivalry tournament, you can have that, and maybe only every three years do you get
1: to host your own regional. Okay, I guess that makes some sense. And then you put the, you put the Midwest regional. Well, I, I mean, you put the West regional in, uh, in Nebraska, in like near Omaha, or you put it in, uh, in Minnesota, or you put it in the western parts of Michigan. Also, you move the uh, Midwest regional out of Allentown, Pennsylvania, because uh, that is not the Midwest. But that's a little bit beside the point. Anyway, so. I like that idea. So the teams, let me just have this right. The teams you'd have would be Minnesota, St. Cloud, Mankato, and North Dakota.
0: Correct. And of course, Minnesota and North Dakota getting to play each other on a regular basis because of this tournament is a happy byproduct. We all miss those games.
1: Please schedule these two teams every year. Just find a way. Yeah that that needs to happen okay I I like that idea and the the tournament hosted uh, was the uh, uh, was the Mariucci classic is the one that uh, that's the one that that's uh, unfortunately the tournament that was suspended am I correct
0: that would be correct I I name was escaping me for the moment but but I knew that tournament existed
1: and people already miss it yeah The last year the Mariucci Classic was held was in 2016, and it is not a Minnesota state-heavy one. The Gophers were the runner-up that year. Third place was Ferris State. Uh, Fourth place was the University of Connecticut, and your champion of the 2016 Mariucci Classic, the Harvard University Crimson, because that is – so they – it looks like Ferris State in Minnesota in the last couple years of it were the most regular participants uh in this whole thing. So yeah, for whatever it's worth uh I would let, it would be nice to see these kind of regional matchups cuz there are other ones. The Three Rivers Classic is one that takes place in Pittsburgh where I mean I just don't know uh uh I I'm trying to think of what the Pennsylvania schools would have. I mean if you were to have that would be Mercyhurst, Penn State um and Robert Morris would be three of them, and then you have the fourth open to a roving representative who would want to come in would be the next thing if you wanted to alter it to make that tournament a little bit more regionalized.
0: Yeah, that would be an, an interesting one. That, it would certainly improve that classic because we do get people coming down for those games that that don't make a whole lot of sense other than just an advertisement for college hockey in Pittsburgh which I guess is really the point of that whole tournament, but it would be nice to have a more regional flair to it. So to at least make Robert Morris and Penn State regular members and make sure that Mercy Mercyhurst gets to play in it as often as they can schedule them to play in it, that would be, that'd be a nice touch. And to that end, I have one for the Ohio schools, but of course there are only three of those as well. I call it the Golden Bear Invitational, named after my personal favorite Ohio athlete of all time, Jack Nicklaus. It's Ohio State, Bowling Green, Miami, and I'm going to cheat a little bit and include Robert Morris since they're on the Ohio River.
1: That is skirting around it, but I like that idea. Uh, The Golden Bear Classic, I'd have to work on I'd have to work on the title of it, just because. Uh, I did he have any connection with hockey? I mean, I, I know that swinging a golf club is kind of like taking a slap shot, but uh,
0: yeah. Other than that, Happy Gilmore way, no. I, <laughs> I was just I, I I made a point to try and come up with names for each of these, and yeah, not a whole lot sprung to mind with Ohio. Well,
1: no, that 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 works out pretty decently, actually. So. I mean yeah, get the Ohio teams some more opportunities to compete against each other and uh I have a friend who's from Cleveland and is a big Ohio State fan who has noted that um there is a big cultural divide between Miami and Ohio State and any opportunity given between uh, those schools to really compete at something would be would be a good time because you are getting a bit of culture uh uh, a bit of a culture battle between uh, the public school in Ohio State and the very private, very elitist, and in some ways, in some ways disliked by uh, by some of the Ohio State people. Uh, Miami. Uh, it's just that that would be an interesting culture just between those two schools, and then Bowling Green is just a different part of the state together. It would be nice if there were a fourth one. I think Findlay used to have a Division 1 team before. They just couldn't hold it together. So, a shame that the Oilers, the Findlay Oilers didn't uh didn't continue a team beyond the 03-04 season, but you know, it would be nice to get more Division 1 hockey in the in the in the Buckeye State, but oh well.
0: Yeah, that that's what made it tough, because at first I came up with that idea thinking there were four, and then I immediately realized there were three and had to scramble, and that's why I figured, well, Ohio River, that's one of the three rivers, so <laughs> might as well include Robert Morris, although I'm sure a lot of Cleveland sports fans would object to a Pittsburgh team being thrown in there for those reasons in specific, so there is that, but got to go with what you've got and for regional ones I have another one All but right. this one is more joking and um you know this cuz you travel around the hockey east schools and the ECAC schools but you know who can't stand the beanpot schools the northern new england schools and anyone who's in hockey east who's not one of them gets really sick of those guys and i would imagine the same's true with ecac teams in harvard so i've come up with something i like to call the spite pot (laughs) all right let's hear it so umass lowell new hampshire merrimack and to include a harvard comparable school dartmouth Get together to see who has bragging rights over the schools that have had it up to here with the hearing about the damn bean pot every February,
1: <laughs> just for a little more spite, they uh, they schedule it at exactly the same time as uh, as the bean pot games on those few Mondays. I live really from like
0: sunny that. Worcester,
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or or from sunny Manchester, New Hampshire, or. Wherever actually connects because uh Manchester would make the most sense actually for just geographically for all of those teams. Uh people would actually go to watch those games. Merrimack fans travel, Lowell fans travel, Dartmouth. I mean Harvard has always as at least in recent years been a team that uh for the beanpot hasn't drawn as well. They drew pretty well for the seventeen beanpot, which they won. I wonder if there's a correlation, but um so I Dartmouth, I don't know if they travel that well. I would hope that they do, if nothing else, so that we can get their goal celebration of them throwing tennis balls on the ice. Because that would be cool and it would be fun to have something like that. But uh uh so I definitely like this the spite pot. That, that that's that's hilarious.
0: And the other tournament, this isn't really a tournament, but this would be A nice bragging rights thing, and it's based off of something they do in college basketball, where they pick conferences against each other. We've got an early season way of scheduling out of conference opponents for the Big Ten. It's called the Big Ten WCHA Challenge.
1: Oh no! And what we send uh, we send Penn State into the Upper Peninsula so that they uh, so that they can take on the people who dislike them the most, or something like that. That that's a big part
0: of it. That. Penn state will have to go out and play in the upper peninsula schools, um, preferably just on a nice rotation every year that they get to go up on their tour, but the rest of the big 10 also for the, for the bulk of the, the games, these would be hosted at WCHA arenas because really they need the boost. And again, I can't stress enough how much I want to see Penn state visit these schools that thinks Penn state ruined hockey. It would just be fun. But I would also like the final four games played in Detroit right before the holiday break for the two in a row, two nights in a row, and just there it is. They have it out. And we see because the WCHA is on the rise. The Big Ten is, of course, a very strong conference and was especially last year. But the WCHA is on the rise again. And I actually do really want to see some of these matchups. It would be great for the Big Ten because with only seven teams in the conference, they have to schedule a lot of -of out-of-conference matchups anyway. And it would just be intrigue because, again, I think it would be a lot of fun to see some of these schools, not just Penn State, but the schools that left the WCHA have to come in and the schools that disrupted all these local rivalries have to come in and rekindle them at least for a night at a time. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then to see it all end at, at the Pizza arena would be a lot of fun as well.
1: That would be pretty sweet. That would be really sweet. I mean, in part, I just love to see, uh, I would just love to see Michigan and uh, Michigan State go out and tour the – Those two schools already play a whole bunch of uh a whole bunch of those schools. They already play um Ferris and Bemidji States and uh they're already in that that cycle of playing uh, of playing those schools. So uh but also keep in mind that uh it seems increasingly likely that the University of Illinois is gonna add a team. So the Illini will improve it and bring it up to uh it would be eight teams then uh, if they add one, which that that would be pretty sweet. Uh so it's a really interesting time to be a Big Ten fan, and uh I hope that uh Lake State and tech improve and uh, and continue to uh Provide us with some good quality hockey stuff to do.
0: And I think it would also solve a problem I've heard from people who really support the the emergence of the Big Ten, that at a lot of these big schools, they only care about the teams that they've heard about in other sports, and they don't know that much about the so-called hockey-only schools like you see a lot of in the WCHA knowing that there's a rivalry between these conferences might help out quite a bit for those early season out of conference matchups that are going to be confusing to some big 10 fans that are used to the football schedule.
1: Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of, uh, a lot of those. I took a look at uh, the number of schools that you wouldn't think about from any sport other than hockey and Even among some of the Blue Blood programs, BU, you don't really think of for any sport other than hockey. Lowell, you don't. North Dakota, you don't. Um, There's a lot of these schools, even amongst the the top tier of them, and that's not even getting to the Upper Peninsula schools or getting to Union or Clarkson or St. Lawrence or a bunch of the upstate New York schools hockey is its own separate culture and you do need to build that fandom a little bit separately just for the personnel that plays that that plays in it so
0: it really is outside of the big 10 and a chunk of hockey east with Connecticut and Boston College and to a degree UMass Amherst and if you're old enough Providence which used to have a very proud basketball tradition you really don't hear about almost any of these schools outside I, I was watching a college football game on Saturday, and I saw the out-of-town scoreboard, and someone was playing North Dakota. Obviously, they were scheduling them as a cupcake, but I didn't even know North Dakota had a football program. I thought it was all North Dakota State, and they just kind of traded off that they'll have the football program and Nodak will have the hockey program. I didn't even though they played football, and I follow sports pretty closely. So that shows you how proud their tradition in that sport is. So really outside of the Big Ten and a few hockey schools like B.C. and, and Connecticut, you don't see any of these schools that often. And then Harvard, of course, Harvard and Yale, because of their annual football game, are somewhat of a big, big deal, an Army. But outside of that, you don't think of these schools as really sports schools at all except for hockey.
1: Well, uh, the Ivies are separate be- uh, in some ways because Ivy League, everything is, I think, correctly treated as its own separate entity because it's a different academic environment than virtually every place else in the country. It's a different, uh, it's a different level of just history that comes with the name being attached to it and the athletic culture is a little bit different than, uh, than it is at most other places. So the Ivies are treated a bit differently, but yeah, you do need to do a little bit of extra work in order to, uh, ensure that people know, because the hockey only schools are definitely going to get up for, uh, for the opportunities to take down big, bad Michigan or big, bad BU, uh, it's it's at the uh the multi sports schools where you need to build up uh, that fan base. When uh when Arizona State goes into Yost Yost Ice Arena or when um or when Lake State or Michigan Tech go into uh, into the Pagula Ice Arena, you need to make sure that there's uh some real sense of uh of uh there's like they're on a competitive footing. In this, because big schools like Penn State do have an advantage for a bigger draw over over Lake State. Um, so you just need to make sure that you know fully well that we're on equal footing here for the quality of the sport we're about to see.
0: Of course, and, and to a degree, it's also for their fans because this is one of the great parts of college hockey is that there are schools that are rivals in hockey that might never play in other sports. And yet these are very intense hockey rivalries that BC and BU play in basketball, maybe once every few years, and it's not a big deal, but when they play in hockey, it's one of the biggest matchups of that week of games for college hockey. When, you know, a lot of these schools don't have football programs, especially in the East. They can't, no one can play BC in football, besides Harvard, but they can play them in hockey. And that's where these rivalries come in, but they don't spill into other sports that often. Of course, they do with some of these schools in the Big Ten and in the Ivy League where they play each other in every sport all the time, but partially due to conference alignment and partially due to just some schools are much larger than others that are the hockey blue bloods. You just don't see these rivalries outside of hockey, and that's another thing we already mentioned, North Dakota and Minnesota being the sad, lost rivalry of college hockey. They don't play in other sports. It's not like we're going to get a really good football game between those two schools going. So they need to play in hockey because that's the only chance those two schools who aren't far from each other get to have it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, worth noting for, uh, for the Ivies that uh, they play each other in everything. Unless you're Columbia, then your school is not good at athletics and has no hockey team. I'm, I'm very sorry. At least Penn is good at other sports. They just, for some reason, don't have a hockey team. By the way, Penn, get a college hockey team in Philadelphia. But uh, that's just that, that I, I'd like to see that, and I know you'd like to see that. But I wonder well, you how— can have a
0: Pennsylvania tournament if you have four teams. Yeah.
1: Then you could have uh, and you could have an opportunity for Philly and Pittsburgh to uh match up against each other on a hockey rink, and you know from experience in the pros how fun that is, right?
0: Oh, of course, that's one of the best rivalries in pro hockey, and they don't get that many opportunities to play in other sports, really, except football when Temple and Pitt are kind of on the same level so they get to have it out, but the Steelers and Eagles don't play all that often. So it'd be nice to have something where, where we get more, especially in hockey between Philly and Pittsburgh, because they have a bit of a, a reputation. And after years and years of the Flyers rivals being, let's see. Oh yeah. Everyone, every single hockey team. Now we actually know who the Flyers true rival is. It's the Penguins.
1: I mean, uh, as a Bruins fan, uh, we don't particularly like them in Boston still to this day, and they don't particularly like us. But you're right that the the Penguins are the big rival for uh, for Philly, and I'd I'd probably say vice versa for uh, for Pittsburgh as well. Uh, that the Philly games are the most intense one, possibly with the exception of playing Washington, which, by the way, there is also no college hockey in Washington D.C. There are a couple of uh, Eastern cities that still don't have college hockey going on here, but uh, I just wonder how you can, uh, I just wonder how you can use these kinds of tournaments to spark interest, but of the tournaments that are currently in existence, you know, the one that intrigues me the most, the ice Vegas invitational, because I wonder (laughs) how much, I wonder how much that tournament can do to help spark, what's already a raging fire of hockey interest in Las Vegas because of the kind of absurd success already of the Vegas Golden Knights I just wonder how much more that tournament can do by the way I'm going to that tournament this year we're just waiting for the teams to be announced all we know is that St. Lawrence is in it this year we don't know anyone else yet who's in that tournament it's kind of weird
0: that that's one that deserves mention and while we're talking about midseason tournaments and trophies i need to mention two more because we we really should mention the ones that exist there's in alaska there's the governor's cup the two alaska schools play each other in the regular season and the one that has the best record in those games gets the governor's cup it is an intense local rivalry For a lot of seasons, especially lately, it's all those schools really have to look forward to in hockey because they've just been under some brutal circumstances. And of course, with the travel, they're always going to have the odds against them. But they have the Governor's Cup, and that's a big deal up in Alaska. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. And, of course, this one's not regional in any respect. It's the it, In fact, it's the exact opposite of regional. But the Friendship Four has been a rousing success up in Belfast for the, for college hockey's journey abroad into Northern Ireland. And it's done better and better every year. It's become something people look forward to. It's become a great part of the early college hockey schedule. And it might be a bit of travel time, but it's right around the time that the college hockey season gets kind of slow because it's right between the holidays. It's around Thanksgiving. And then after, after December, you get that break. So they, they have an opportunity, and that tournament's really taken off in a short
1: time. Oh, it's a fabulous success. By the way, the team's taking part in this year's uh, Friendship Four at the SSE Arena in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, there are two Hockey East teams, Boston University and UConn, going up against um, – where's the listing here? Uh, do, 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 do. Ah, here we are. Going up against Yale and Union – from the ECAC and there's a lot of uh, I've heard that there's some real, uh, real college hockey fans from Belfast and from that part of Ireland who really have taken to the sport and uh, really have uh, learned to appreciate hockey because there's that sport is barely played across the pond in Ireland. It's played in the United Kingdom, which actually Northern Ireland is a part of the United Kingdom and the
0: They might be the most successful team in professional hockey in the United Kingdom, the Belfast Giants.
1: Yeah. Uh, So I just – I have a friend who went to BU and was a figure skater and uh, was on the club figure skating team at BU and still teaches lessons to people now. And when she went over to Ireland, she studied in Dublin. No ice rinks in Dublin. In fact, from what she could determine, no ice rinks anywhere in the Republic of Ireland at that time. The only ice rink – on the island of ireland was in belfast um so i just i hope that uh the sport continues to spread <laughs> into uh uh into that part i think they still do kind of view it as a quote british invention because it's a canadian game and um well canada was a british territory for a while and those kind of uh cultural issues uh from long historical things still exist but Belfast is in Northern Ireland so there's your exception to what uh, why the republic is uh, so different from from the northern part so it's well, a great success
0: and there's some there's some scottish sports influence throughout canada of course because curling one of their favorite games up north was invented in scotland and it is in many respects a scottish game we see it every year in the winter olympics with their, their team almost being entirely comprised of people from Scotland. So of course there's, there's a connection there as well. I don't know how thick that is, but it's, it, it would be nice to see hockey grow abroad and especially in that part of Europe, because of course in Eastern and Northern Europe, it's really taken off, but in the UK, they have a professional league and in some places they really love it, but it's, it's in bits and, and, spurts so they need to get more hockey out there and it's nice to see that they've taken so well to the friendship four and everyone that goes comes back and they they say glowing things about it both as spectators and as players so it, it's quite a success and it it's nothing like these tournaments we've been talking about these regional ideas that we love so much but it's taken a life of its own and it's it's a great success for college hockey
1: yeah and by the way for uh for whatever it's worth um there, there was a player from the sheffield steelers and blanking on his name right now but who was drafted in the uh in the most recent nhl draft the sheffield steelers are a team in uh in the elite ice hockey league which is in, uh, which is uh in in england so um uh, the game is growing across the pond, and there are more people who are taking part in uh, in in the sport o- over overseas. So it's improving. It's uh, it's definitely a bigger thing. Uh, so I just I wonder if anywhere else, just over across the pond in England, could work for supporting a tournament like this. And I wonder if any other schools would be interested in and willing to uh to do it because it isn't an unusual part of the season it's It's the day after American Thanksgiving, which means you're in essence giving up one of America's best holidays in Thanksgiving to go over to uh to to ireland it
0: It's and, just and for college students, that's no small feat because especially with the schedule of a, a an athlete, you have very limited time to go home and see family. And Thanksgiving is one of those rare times that, well, campuses are often closed. You have to go home. And that's where you get your chance to see and catch up with family. And those teams that go to the friendship forum might not get that until their holiday break, unless their family opts to, pay for tickets and go out to Northern
1: Ireland and see them there. Which by the way, is not cheap to go across the pond. So it's just, I wonder if it can work. It's a, it's a one of a kind sort of tournament. I just don't know if it can work uh, any other way or uh, with any other crowd of, uh, of uh, with any other part of the sport. Just, I mean, we could, we could put a uh, tournament back in Florida. We, we used to have a, a regular tournament in Florida if we want to try and expand it because these, I wonder how effective these kinds of tournaments can be at, uh, at taking root. There used to be, uh, what tournament was it that was held down in, uh, in the great state of Florida? It, the Florida College Hockey Classic or the Everblades College Classic was a thing for a while, but discontinued after 2016. Just wonder uh, how many other kinds of tournaments there can be for either around Thanksgiving or right around the holiday break where you can bring teams there and try to grow the sport through that way.
0: I, I like doing things right before Thanksgiving, if possible, partially because the night before Thanksgiving, we all go see family a lot of people have to travel to do so, but by the night, you've already finished traveling. You've gotten where you're going. You're with family, or they've come to your house, and everyone's getting together, and wouldn't it be nice to have something, and I mean anything on in the background, because it kills me. There's never anything on television the night before thanksgiving that you could just mute and put on in the background and talk to family and hardly have to look at but occasionally if it got good you'd look over and it would be a topic of discussion we have it all day the next day with football usually games by the way that aren't particularly good but the night before Thanksgiving there's just nothing it'd be nice if there were something anything so one of these tournaments say coming down to Amelie Arena in Tampa where they absolutely adore hockey and having a quick showcase maybe not even tournament just a showcase of college hockey teams that would happen that night and you know again it would mess with travel schedules but there aren't many good times to put these tournaments and really selfishly i just want something on television that night
1: (laughs) you also want to not watch the detroit lions play football because uh, that team has been bad for a while, and they play every Thanksgiving. So this is well, – this is And even the Cowboys,
0: you either love or hate the Cowboys, and I can get it can be fun to root against them, but who is enjoying this season after season of injured team playing mediocre football? It's, it's not satisfying people who hate the Cowboys. It's certainly not satisfying people who love the Cowboys. Can we please stop watching Dallas Cowboys football games for a little while?
1: Uh, take it up with the rest, of, with the rest of America, dude. I I don't really, I honestly don't really care to be, uh, to be totally honest. As long as there is uh, something to visually entertain me, and as long as the evening game on Thursday night is uh not not a uh, not a gong show, and normal and over the last couple of years it hasn't been actually, so that that's worked to my benefit. Except 2012, but that gave us the opportunity to laugh at the Jets and i am so fine with that
0: well while we're on the subject of other sports i like i said the the title today is project bean pot everywhere and i would like to see some of these tournaments and trophies make their way into other college sports i recently with the the website i work for sports talk florida tried something called the florida championship where every week we rank the seven football bowl subdivision schools against each other. And it's it's become the thing that I hear about the most from people who read that website about how can you possibly rank this school above that school, or you didn't really see that game, did you, and all that kind of stuff. So I love that that's becoming something and i would love for there to be something really proper between those schools because i know those three big ones all hate each other they have those long established rivalries between florida and florida state and miami and florida state and the rest of the world and florida state but it it just has to boil over a little bit when you see a school like ucf not get anything at the end of the year They had to declare themselves national champions in a move that a lot of people made fun of, but it would have been nice if they just got a little trophy saying you're better than all the other schools in Florida. At least you have that. They would have hung a banner for that. That would have been a lot more fun and it would have been regional and maybe it could have resulted in orange bowl with UCF and Miami as opposed to Miami and whoever the, whoever the team they played was. That
1: would have, that would have been pretty interesting, and it's it's taken off, and already the radio stations down uh, uh, down your neck of the woods, uh, Rock Riley, your afternoon drive host, has already been uh, inundated with calls uh, from people who are a little bit annoyed with uh, with some of the rankings. So that that's a good time.
0: That, Spoiler alert: If you went to Florida, Florida State, or Miami, you hate UCF. You just <laughs> now, after that national champions thing, they all hate UCF. So in that regard, it worked. Whatever they were trying to do with that that proclamation, it absolutely worked because the big three schools despise them and every Alabama fan I've met wants to wring their neck. It, It worked so well for them. It has added entertainment and I'm not necessarily the biggest college football fan myself, but I know down here it is what they love and just to watch people go nuts about it just makes me think you did a good job UCF do it
1: every year. Yeah. I mean, as an ex as uh someone who is not a college football person, I just watch it as an external observer. God, it's so fun to watch it. I I I do think it would be a good idea to get to see uh, all that different kind of stuff. Um in the interest of uh expanding to other sports for your idea of Beanpot everywhere, There is a uh, baseball version of the Beanpot, which takes place in April between Boston College, Harvard, Northeastern, and UMass Amherst because Boston University got rid of their baseball team in one of the dumbest decisions made, I think. I still don't understand why BU does not have a baseball team and why we can't continue uh, that whole tradition. So I you bring back baseball, please that that would make a lot of that would make me very happy. that would make a number of us uh, of us terriers very happy. so uh there are there are other bean pot tournaments for uh, for other sports as well, just in the interest of pointing out what already exists,
0: yeah, and of course it to a degree, the I believe it's called the services trophy that exists between the the military service schools spills to a degree into hockey because army and air force have programs and they do play each other on a regular basis so so there is another rivalry that kind of transcends all college sports that falls into hockey as well so that should be noted while we're on this that there's also there are certain rivalries that just exist in every single sport and they actually keep track of them across the different sports so there are some of those and some of
1: those schools play hockey it's a great thing we need to get navy playing hockey too though my mom is always uh well my brother more so uh, would have these kind of jokes uh i'm thinking of it in his voice even though he's not said this exactly how would navy play a uh play hockey they'd always be thawing the ice to try and make it into an ocean so they could dominate the sport <laughs> yes it, yes that's they don't
0: the don't bring, ice, humor humor. They
1: bring out the ice cutter that's the, that's the terrible humor that goes on in my family you're welcome uh so uh i it, it is funny that navy actually hosted the 09 frozen four when it was in washington dc and they don't have a college hockey team. Granted, the Frozen Four this year is in Buffalo, and the MAC, two A's, is, uh, is hosting it, even though they don't have any college hockey either, at least not directly. So, um, yeah. Yeah, they, that,
0: that... That should be a requirement for hosting the frozen four. You need to get one of your schools on track to join Division One, which by the way, that would that would also go for USF since Tampa's hosted two of these things, and USF still doesn't have a Division One college hockey program. So get on it, Ice Bulls. I
1: mean, USF, but Florida Gulf Coast would be the other one. Uh they have uh more direct access to a kind of on-campus arena, I would think. So So you know we're we're just we're gonna continue lobbying for more schools to play this sport, and we're gonna keep lobbying until someone actually listens to our ideas.
0: One of these days, some billionaire is going to be listening to this podcast that went to one of these schools, and it's actually gonna work. So, uh, you know, you mentioned the Big Five very early in this podcast, and here's another tournament that should exist. Why does the Big Five not have an actual direct tournament? All you need to do is rank the five schools. Four and five seeds play each other, and then you have a four-team tournament. Ends at the Palestra. Everyone loves the Palestra. Everyone loves the big five. You get a big trophy at the end of it. You get bragging rights at the end of it. I would watch this, and I have no attachment to any of those schools.
1: Fair enough. I mean, I guess the only attachment I would have is that Villanova is a Big East school, and I— miss the old big East when it was actually the greatest college basketball that has ever been played and fight me. If you, if if you disagree with that, I would absolutely watch, uh, watch this stuff as well. And I've always been a little bit confused as to exactly how this works. I just know that everything ends at the palestra, but I, I would watch. I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of basketball fans would watch this stuff in general. And, Philadelphia, for all that we want to try and make it a Flyers town or all we want to make it a hockey town, it is a basketball town first and foremost. It is to college basketball, in essence, what college hockey is to – what Boston is to college hockey. So it would be nice to restructure that a little bit. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how you'd work the scheduling for it, but it would be nice.
0: For so, for so the saying goes, Will Smith didn't play hockey outside of the school. so Uh, another regional tournament this one would be eight teams so this one's going to be a fun one there are a lot of good college baseball programs in california there are just a lot of them yeah so how about the o'malley trophy between ucla cal fresno state san diego state cal state fullerton cal state santa barbara stanford and uc irvine eight team tournament California baseball bragging rights on the line.
1: Okay, as someone who um, is around college baseball through the Cape Cod Baseball League, I love it. Is we did include USC in one of those things, right? Is any California baseball thing you have to include the Trojans? Yeah. Okay. Yeah just just had to make sure that uh, we included them. Is my uh, is my only thing, but yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, you can apply the same thing to the Carolinas have Duke NC state, the Tar Heels, coastal Carolina, Eastern have all those schools go at it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would, that would work because to a degree college baseball almost has that college hockey landscape feel of there are a bunch of schools that are on the periphery or sometimes even national powers of the sport who you don't really see in other sports, at least in the grandest fashion. They have basketball programs. They have football programs in most cases, but some of them are FCS. Some of them just – they're not the top schools in those sports, but they're great in baseball, and they're great in baseball
1: seemingly every year. I think that's kind of changing a little bit recently. Well, the current national champions are uh, are Oregon State. And they've had, uh, uh, they've had, they've had good success in uh, in football. The runner up is Arkansas, and you definitely know them from the SEC. And the team with the most championships is USC. So, uh, I mean, they they speak for themselves. Pro- I mean, Cal State Fullerton has uh, appeared has appeared in the finals a bunch of years and has won four times in uh, in the championship round. So. Uh, so definitely, I, I I could see them being a uh, being uh, being considered there. But there's also just a lot. It feels like, and I need to check the math on this. It just feels like a bunch more different schools make runs to uh, to uh, the baseball championships. Pretty much all of them are uh, from southern teams. We haven't had a New England baseball team make it to the College World Series. Since 1986, when the Black Bears of Maine went, that's how long it's been since a New England school was in the College World Series. Not winning it, just in it.
0: Yeah, there. it's rare to see any New England school have made the College World Series. Um, I, I should point out Northeastern did so in the 60s once.
1: <laughs> I don't think BU ever did. BC has been there four times. Their last time was in 1967. Uh, but uh, the schools that have made appearances in it and the schools that have won it, uh, there's, yeah, I mean, the, you do still see that a lot of your truly, like, dominant long-term powers, Texas, big school and a lot of stuff. Stanford, big school and a lot of stuff. SC, uh, it, it's the USC Trojans, Oklahoma State. It's a good football power with other uh, things. With other uh, times, they break through every so often, but not so much. Miami, lots of money,
0: lots of money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Miami, same kind of deal, uh, except they're a much more successful uh, team there. The weirdest college baseball stat is that Florida State has never had a losing season since having a baseball team. They have also never won a national championship. There is no statistic in all of college sports quite like Florida State's one, but some of the recent schools like Vanderbilt, you don't really think of them for uh, for anything else. Rice, you don't really think of them for anything else. Um, TCU, you might for uh, for football stuff. Yeah, they
0: had a they had a brief run with football recently, and of course, historically, they have one of the old old you know when college football was a much different game they have a history from all the way back then so i would say they consider themselves a football school but a lot of those texas schools and of course texas a&m um i i don't know how much of a power they are year to year but i do know they have the fans that'll keep going all the way to ball 16 and do oh, yeah. that chant and and that's a lot of fun so you know you just I, my point is everyone deserves something like the bean pot of their own, or some kind of a tournament, a trophy, uh, a rivalry that extends beyond just one sport that they can u- use for local bragging rights. Because of course, so many of these schools, especially in whatever sport they consider their best sport, they're usually in a region with a bunch of other schools that consider the same sport, their best sport. And you get a lot of these local rivalries. So that's the that's the part of college sports i really enjoy the most and i think it could go into every sport and i'd like to see it go there more and i'd like to see more of these schools especially the smaller schools that don't always get the chance but every now and then they're really good get their shot against the big guys and these local tournaments are always a good way of ensuring that say Drexel might not be all that good at basketball in a given year, but they're going to get their bone to pick with everyone else in Philly because that's how Philly works and basketball works. And it, it would be nice to see that with every one of these kind of schools. I know obviously we're not talking realistic, but
1: we like to get unrealistic with these things on puck university. Yeah. Every so often. I mean, we we'd like to see our dreams come true and we always want to see great and crazy things happen because I mean, how crazy would that be? But no, this is where, this is where all the fun comes in.
0: It's a, and it's a big part of what makes each of the different college sports unique in its own way that they do rivalries differently, but you see it and you think, well, well, we have this thing. What if you tried this and then you say it to fans of these other sports, like trying to explain this Florida championship idea to people who love Miami gets just gets their motor going in a way they're not used to. They're used to, they get one game. That's a big regional rivalry. They play Florida state every year and that's their game for bragging rights. And the idea that they could have bragging rights over all the other schools too makes everyone just it it makes their imaginations run wild and of course that's all we're doing with this but that's part of the fun of following sports in general and especially early on in these seasons if you can't let your imagination run with you what are you talking about you're talking about who's hurt
1: yeah so we just you just want to stick it to people that uh that are right near you. I mean, the Red Sox and Yankees just want to do, just want to stick it to each other all the time. And it makes for possibly the most compelling rivalry that has ever existed in, in, uh, in all sports. So uh, it's a great, (laughs) it's a beautiful part of sports, you know, regional hatred for each other. Fueled by an opportunity to express that, that sentiment of regional hatred.
0: it underlines the concept of a friendly rivalry yeah. because these are people that, for the most part, they are they end up being your coworkers, your friends, your family, your neighbors. But then for a few hours, there's that fun of you're on team A and they're on team B and just go. And that's why we watch kind of sports in general, but especially in college sports, that's become – if you can't win the national championship at least finish ahead of your rival.
1: Yeah, I'm realizing more and more taking a look at all the tournaments that uh we want to see. Uh I the more we discuss talk about this stuff, the more I just think man, the bean pot is special. You know, the uh the founders of the tournament, the people who uh came up with the idea for that tournament were uh were absolute geniuses. The the original founders of it were uh, were were geniuses.
0: It it really is like nothing else in college sports because they have a lot of mid-season tournaments and a lot of them are great. I'm trying I'm not trying at all to disrespect things like the GLI which has its own great tradition and really it's college hockey in Detroit and we don't get enough of that as I've said several times on this podcast one of the great hockey towns of america it deserves more college hockey. So we like that we like that there are these mid-season tournaments. Basketball has a lot of them but they're not necessarily regional. In fact, the most famous ones in Hawaii every year and they have the they've had challenges between conferences but it really is there's nothing like the bean pot where there are other local rivalries between a bunch of schools, but they don't necessarily get together for a specific trophy in a tournament format every year. And now when they do, it's, it's not quite the bean pot because now you do that in these four schools, whoever's the best among them is probably one of the best teams in the country. They're going to, they, they're probably going to either go to the frozen four or at the very least give you a Hobie Baker winner. So that's where, that's why we love this tournament. And you'll notice in if you followed along with these tournaments, they're almost all variations of the theme that the beanpot has represented.
1: It's just incredible that uh, the first beanpot was played in 1952. And they didn't get the scheduling down to uh down to February until 1955. Uh the first yeah, you know, the first ever bean pot was uh was played between uh was played on Friday December 26th 1950 uh 1952 at the Boston Arena which we now call Matthews Arena. So uh they they skipped a year for 53 and then have been playing it annually every single year since 1954 and every time in the Boston Garden since then. Just incredible how many things that it's a simple idea. incredible how many things they managed to get right
0: it is it's a it's a simple idea but it's funny how rare it is across the college sports because of course you can't have mid-season tournaments in football you can hardly have them in basketball if you can they're usually much larger because you want a bunch of games to get knocked out as as quickly as you can but the idea of a local small two-week tournament it it really should be in more places but we only have it in college hockey and it, it's best at the bean pot. so like i said i think it should be everywhere i would love to see something similar with the big five i'd love to see something similar with the california baseball schools or the carolina baseball schools or all the great golf programs in the south having a nice big tournament at say TPC sawgrass which is of course, one of the one of the great golf venues. All of that kind of regional stuff, you just want more of it because it's what makes this the most fun.
1: Yeah, local regional stuff, competition between people that know each other and don't really like each other. Familiarity breeds contempt. You just wonder uh, how many other people will get the opportunity to make something like that happen. At the very least...
0: We can make Minnesota and North Dakota happen. That just has to happen. Start scheduling each other, guys. Do something. This is stupid. Just just play each other every year so college hockey fans all over the country can be extremely happy and not have all of our great rivalries centered in the same few areas. Please just bring North Dakota's big rival back.
1: Well, uh, good news then is that uh, I'm looking at the Minnesota schedule and – Minnesota is scheduled to host North Dakota on October twenty seventh this year. So that's good. You know, we we do get that rivalry at some point this year. So uh it it would be interesting to see that uh that rivalry played in not uh, in a tournament setting, but at least it is being played though. So uh uh, you know, that, that's what we've got for that.
0: Yeah, it's being played, and it's nice to see that they schedule each other out of conference. Now they just have to make sure to find some way to guarantee that they do it every year. And short of a tournament, I don't know what that is, but they've got to make sure they do it every year because that's one of the great rivalries in in college hockey. And while I'm coming around more and more to the Big Ten, partially because here's an out-of-sports thought for you, Notre Dame is a Big Ten school, has always been a Big Ten school – And college hockey fans know this now because we've seen how naturally they fit in and how perfect that was. Notre Dame, just give up, join the Big Ten. I want to see Notre. We they don't you know make sure that those rivalries exist in every sport because that was a lot of fun. But at the same time. Don't take Minnesota and North Dakota away from us. Give it to us every year. I'm waiting. I'm looking forward to their matchup on October 27th. I'm looking forward to the entire college hockey season. We'll be back throughout the preseason with previews of the conferences of the entire country of who we think is going to be good. Who's going to be bad. We'll get to that in the coming weeks. This has been puck University's First episode of season three, the Beanpot Everywhere special. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined as always by Chris Lynch up in Boston. Enjoy the build up to the college hockey season. Enjoy whatever other sports you're watching in the meanwhile. And as always, keep your head up and your hits clean.